What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Daily Energy News Beat Stand-Up here on this gorgeous Monday, September 25th, 2023. As always, I'm your humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, coming to you from an undisclosed location here in Dallas, Texas, joined by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com. Stuart Turley, my man, how we doing today? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And I mean, there's some wild news going on out there. Absolutely. The the weekend is never short of stories. We hope you guys had a relaxing weekend and we're here to fire you up, support you all through the week, bringing you the best energy news. First up on the menu for today's show, recent grid reforms might not be enough for Virginia to hit future clean energy targets. Advocates say, oh, you don't say. We'll see what's going on over in Virginia. Next up, EV battery factory will require so much energy. It needs a coal power plant to power it. That's courtesy of one of our favorite websites, Cowboy Estate Daily. In a shocking turn of events that you would have only known about if you listened to this show, EV batteries need coal to power it. Um, So Stu will cover what's going on in Wyoming. Next up, the trader that sparked a surge in U.S. oil prices. Mmm, dun, dun, dun. Love a good conspiracy theory. So Stu's going to dive into be uh, who's driving up our energy prices. Newsflash, it's not who you think. Next up, the new face of nuclear energy is Miss America. Interesting. So Stu will dive into uh, whose uh, nuclear energy is rolling out as the new marketing spokesperson. And then finally, better looking than Stu. Well, I'll tell a hint there. Oh, yeah. Better looking than Stu. Next up. And finally, federal judge orders Biden administration to expand Gulf of Mexico oil auction in a back and forth you know, legal with the administration back and forth, federal judge now in Louisiana ordering this administration to expand its September 27th oil auction. Stu will cover that. He'll kick it over to me. I'll lightly cover what happened in the oil markets um, on Friday. We did see rig counts and then we'll really just kind of prep you guys for this week, keep you up to speed on what you should watch out for. And then we'll let you get on here and start your week. But before we do all that, guys, as always, the stories and analysis you are about to hear are courtesy of the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com. The best place for all your energy news. Stu and the team do a great job of curating that website to make sure it stays up to speed with all of your pertinent energy and oil and gas news. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube via at Energy Newsbeat. That's the best way to support the show. Go to YouTube at Energy Newsbeat and hit that subscribe button. We appreciate everybody who's done that. You can also check out our data news product combo, dashboard.energynewsbeat.com, the best place for, as I mentioned, that data news combo. Interact with the show, questions at energynewsbeat.com. Check out the description below, links to all of the articles you're about to see. Another way to interact with the show, again, questions at energynewsbeat.com. Follow both Stu and I at LinkedIn, all in the description below. I'm out of breath though, Stu. Where do we want to begin? Hey, let's have a little bit of fun. Boy, that almost sounded like Putin. Hey, hey. okay. Uh, recent grid reforms might not be enough for Virginia to hit its clean energy targets, advocates say. You know, Michael, this is a common theme. And when you sit back and take a look at job creation, wind, solar capacity in the queue, and then you take a look, Virginia is on track to meet short-term carbon-free targets laid out in the sweeping Clean Economy Mm. Act of 2020. 
It's remarkable considering that 44,000 megawatts of wind and solar energy storage projects proposed across the state are still waiting in PJM's interconnection queue, which is, Michael, what is that? That is regulations from the Biden administration holding this up. Oops. Now, here's another quote in here from Amon. He says, uh, even though Virginia is in good shape for the immediate future, more proactive transmission planning would really help. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, Michael, you cannot put renewables on a grid without planning ahead. It does not work. You you cannot do it. And they're 180 per, 180% higher in order yeah. to get it done it's dumb it's the pot call call <laughs> calling the kettle black this Amon dana Amon. do you know what you know this person is they're a policy analyst at the natural resources defense council who i'm pretty sure was involved in writing the inflation reduction act so the policy analyst didn't think originally when they wrote the bill that maybe if we're going to inject all of this money into the economy via clean energy, we should at least have the ability for somebody to approve the permit. They're absolutely stupid. So this policy analyst should probably go work. It's probably out of the straight out of the IEA, straight from Brussels over here. And they're getting hired by the Natural Resources Defense Council, because clearly if you had seen this coming, you would have addressed this in the Clean Economy Act. Absolutely. Uh, Hilarious. Further down here, it says 5,200 megawatts of offshore wind. While she is cheered by the progress, though, so far, she's faced many hurdles. Michael, on 5,200 megawatts, let's talk about what that means to the grid. 5,200 megawatts may be the tag on that wind turbine for their capabilities of generation, but for a grid Balancing authority, being able to do that, let's divide that by 180. You're not going to be able to count on that wind in order to remain all the time. And I use about 5.2 megawatts of electricity every month to power all my screen. So I don't even buy it's that much. I just think it's hilarious. Everyone now is talking about, well, permitting, we got to refer permitting, we got to refer regulations. Like, you dummies, think of that beforehand. Get the regulations right before you start dumping all of this money in or else it's just a cash grab and nothing's going to happen. Uh, personally, I think it's a cash grab, but we'll leave that alone. Okay, let's go to the next one here, Michael. And it is from our fans, uh, our buddies over there at the Cowboy State Daily. Please follow them. They are phenomenal folks up there. EV battery will require so much energy, it needs a coal plant to power it. <laughs> um, these articles write them these headlines write themselves oh yeah it's a four michael it is a four billion panasonic electric uh, uh vehicle battery in desoto kansas will help satisfy the biden's administration to get everybody on ev but it's using a coal-fired plant i've been by this plant and it is Old and dirty. Yes, it does need to be shut down. Uh, a 15 pound lithium ion battery holds the same amount of energy as a pound of oil. Yeah, that's, yeah, that I'll take the pound of oil. I love how they have to point out that, remember, Panasonic set to receive 6.8 million from the Inflation right. Reduction Act. Uh, this is just energy hypocrisy at, at its finest. Uh, 
I love the Cowboy State Daily when they put lipstick on a pig is the next high title in this area. What bothers me is that the reason this EV factory is causing such a spike in the energy consumption that they have to now delay the transition from coal to natural gas because they need the power now. This is an example yep. of shooting yourselves in the foot in order to not worry about the pain that's going on in your right foot, which was just run over by a car. Right. So would you say that Kansas uh, is basically pulling a Dick Cheney on the citizens there? Yes. Yes. And they just shot themselves in the foot and the splatter got everybody in Kansas City. Is that a took it in the drive through again? <laughs> took it in the drive through. They took one in the team for their foot. Okay, let's go to the next one here, dude. Uh, I want your opinion on this. The trader that sparked a surge in U.S. oil uh, dubbed the Atlantic Trading and Marketing uh, Corporation. Company appears to be taking an advantage of high refining margins uh, created by tight supply and strong demand for fuel. Yeah. So uh, according oh, we, to these is, unnamed sources, Stu, Atlantic Trading and Marketing is the trading arm of French supernator Total Energies and has begun, quote, gobbling up crude oil um, in this basically at this push because of this strong demand and what we would call this large crack spread between what refined products trade for right. and the actual underlying physical commodity. And they've been doing so since last November. Yep. Now, this is let's add this squirrel to this mix. And that is uh, Russia has banned all diesel and refined products uh, that is going to make this even more valuable. And the energy hypocrisy, climate change hypocrisy is now being uh, brought out on Total Energy because they are absolutely gearing up to help take advantage of that. Did you just try to shoot yourself in the in the face? I was giving a wee wee. Oh, wee wee. Okay. I was like, either that or you were doing the evil guy with Mike Myers uh, on a you know. million dollars. How <laughs> <laughs> okay. much money they're making on driving up crude oil prices. Oh, yeah. You got to love it. Hey, let's go to the next one here. The new face of nuclear energy is Miss America. I think this is actually really cool. Uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, RT over there at Pecos Operating and podcast host uh, of The Crude Truth. Grace Stanky uh, celebrated her birthday with a visit to the Georgia nuclear power plant. But she is Miss America. And it is really cool because she got... All of her, she's got a uh, job after her tour this year uh, with a nuclear group, and it's going to be Constellation Energy. Interesting. I wonder what yes. she's going to do. It's a mix of technical work as a nuclear fuels engineer. So she's a nuclear fuels engineer. Are we sure about that? I guess I she's a nuclear so. engineering student. Okay. Good for I, I got to since we did, uh, you know, the the stuff on it, it, she's smart. She is smart. And I'll tell you what, uh, she would make a better. What was the guy that was stealing clothes and nuclear waste uh, in the Biden administration? Oh, what? The Sam, was it? Yeah, I don't know. But the guy that was stealing people's clothes, <laughs> yeah. like going to airports and stealing people's yes. luggage. She'd make a better one there. I guarantee you she wouldn't be stealing luggage. So, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, if we had more nuclear engineering students and we I mean, what, what's interesting is that probably what we need to do is begin to push 
people getting into right. stuff like nuclear energy. There's not enough of them. If we're really going to no. push this stuff, we need an educational push. Right. Not right now. I'm communicating with their scheduling department to get her on the Energy Newsbeat podcast. So there's a little plug for what's coming around the corner. Then, so, no, you bet. All right. And let's go to the last one here. Federal judge orders the Biden administration to uh, expand the Gulf of Mexico oil auction. I'm not sure who picked this picture, but it looks like uh, Diaper Dan there. Uh, Biden is uh, all grumped out. I mean, yeah. it was. So the Louisiana-based judge concluded that the Interior Department probably moved wrongly at the 11th hour to yank roughly 6 million acres off the auction block. Whoa. Ocean, the Department, the Interior Department of Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. Boy, that sounds like a uh, rat cave of, uh, uh, what do you want to call that one, bureaucracy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not okay. good. No, not not good. Uh rats get lost in there and then they have to finally come out. Never mind. Okay, the decision is a win for Louisiana, which it ar- argued it stood to lose as much as 2.2 million in royalties. Oh, follow the money. Louisiana's not dumb. Uh, you know, it's how else do these Counties make money. If you have oil in your right. county, the way I mean, it, there's a reason why Midland. I, we could get into it for ye, we could we could we could go down this rabbit hole. But I think it's it's crazy that right. people don't think of second order effects. Why do all of the people who live around oil and gas love oil and gas? Well, right. I don't know because of the amount of economic stability and uplift it brings to the region. I don't know. Maybe you know it's not you know it just well, it, it boggles my mind. People are like well. Uh, most people in, hate in Louisiana, Michael. I don't know. They're great places to live. Now, Michael, you have to remember in Louisiana is also home to the uh, Haynesville, the uh, that oil field. I mean, the oil and gas field that uh, we have Chenier uh, coming out of all of that natural gas going to uh, Chenier and then being exported out. Do you know how much money the U.S. government is making out of the Haynesville yeah. in Louisiana? Now, in the grand scheme of things, $2.2 million is really not that much considering the amount of debt we're in. The problem is, this. It, it, don't it is think to, about the money, think about the supply of oil. We're already in a point where we are going to be undersupplied. What is the one few things that an American oil company can do that can move the needle realistically right. in terms of oil production. It's offshore. There's not much onshore that's going to really move the needle. I mean, outside of ExxonMobil saying we're going to double our Permian spending, you know, Chevron and Pioneer yep. all coming out saying we're all going to double our capital expenditure in the Permian. Okay, that maybe moves the needle. What does move the needle? Uh, you know, a, a $2 billion CapEx spend drilling four to five wells out in Louisiana, out in the offshore. That's, you know, 100, 150,000 barrels a day. Now you start seeing the needle get moved and, and, and you start seeing that gap closing. So while, yes, $2.2 million, the counter argument is well, that's not that much. And look, they're saving the whales. We know where I stand on the whales, kill them all. But what I do stand for is if we're if you're actually uh, talking about lowering oil prices, you've got to put more supply. I mean, it's basic economics. So I think this is a short term. 
Woo, looks good for the administration. They strike this down. But in the long run, it's going to kill him. You know, this this judge overruled it. It'll be interesting to see if it actually takes place. This auction is supposed to take place on the 27th. So hey, on Wednesday, it'll be interesting to see if that actually goes through. Hey, let me uh, do a little bit of uh, a shout out. Um you, when you're doing a, uh, you're not going to be killing the whales uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. A, it's not a major thoroughfare for whales. B, uh, the sounding and all of the geo uh, work that has to be done with oil and gas rigs is nothing like what has to be done in the wind and the uh, offshore wind up on the east coast and that's a major contributor to the dead whales that you so aptly want to drop in and kill all the whales and then i want to go ahead and drop them in the white house lawn i think that would be great (laughs) that's a that's a great way to leave it let's let's quickly look at, at what happened in the oil and gas markets on Friday, we did see the overall markets drop about a quarter of a percentage point for the S&P 500. NASDAQ finished fairly flat. Um, Again, uh, fallout from the the Chairman Powell's and, and the Federal Reserve's decision to hold interest rates where they're at. The reason why I think a lot of this sentiment, Stu, is, is still much more soured is due to the fact that rates are going to be like that for a while. You know, we saw oil prices rise and we're still sitting at 90.33, but our XOP contract last week actually dropped about two and a half percentage points. That's interesting. Oil above 90, our aggregate XOP, which is our average upstream oil and gas contract, drops. Why would EMP companies struggle in a higher oil price environment? Well, a couple reasons. One, all the cash flow they're getting, they're having to return to investors, whether it's dividends, whether it's stock right. buybacks, and very and a, and very little of it is going back into drilling. Why do I know that? Rig counts dropped on Friday. Again, we dropped 11 rigs. Oil price up 20% over the last three months. Oil pr- our rig counts dropped by over 40. Again, last week, we're now down another 11, 630. From previous year to year, we're down 134 rigs. Goes back to my argument about supply, Stu. There is just not enough supply coming on the market. But what's happening? People are going to start, oil companies are going to start making more money. They're going to start returning money to shareholders. Why is there this push to return money to shareholders? Because the banks and the investments have left it. We never, you know, people like to say it was ESG that drove all of the investment out of oil and gas. I take the counter argument. I take the fact that between 2012 and 2017, nobody nobody returned a dime to these banks. Billions of dollars lit on fire trying to drill thousands of wells that were unproductive. All of these large location, you know, all these double premium locations. Right. Yeah. Most of them aren't real. So I, it's interesting from the standpoint of we're seeing, we saw oil prices rise right. and what should be a great move for EMP companies, yet their stock price fell. You saw it in rig counts. It's going to be interesting to see what goes forward. If that investment mood doesn't change. And again, you're seeing all of the ESG products begin to fail, but no one's saying, now we need to rush and spend more on oil. They're just saying the ESG experiment is over. Why aren't they also then saying all of this money is being dumped back into oil and gas? Because they're not dumb and they like money. And they understand that right. there's, you know, no one's got a thousand premium locations ready to drill. Trust me on that. You maybe got 10 if you're a large company. So right. you're just going to go. And so, you know, to, to, again, to bring it all home, it's really interesting, the circle of, you know, this pot that's stewing right now in the oil and gas business, too. And I don't know what's going to give. Something's got to give. Rig count's got to give. Oil price has to jump to 140 to see this right. rig, you know, or, you know, what we see is the investment struggling. Something's going to give here. 
Uh, let me ask this because I believe it was Exxon that said they were going to double the production in their area in the Permian by reworking wells and going back in. I don't think that they could do that, but what are your thoughts? So I am not an expert in in in, in reworks or what we would call refracturing. Right. So the idea is there's all of these wells, horizontal wells drilled between 2010 and let's say 2017 that right. were drilled with which were completed horizontally with non-modern completion techniques. And oh, yeah. the two biggest factors in what differentiate, differentiates an old completion from a new completion is two things, the amount of water you use and the amount of sand volume you use. That's really it. Yeah, there's, you know, stages get larger. Maybe we go out three miles and all that. But, but let's just talk about the two things that separate a modern completion, the amount of volume or the amount of water volume and the amount of sand volume. And let me tell you, you're talking about a four times increase in both from say a pre-2017 to post-2017. So what does that mean? If you have a large inventory of, you know, horizontals that were drilled between 27 or, you know, 2010 and 2017, you would on paper be like, oh, these are candidates to go in and recomplete. Let's use a much higher sand volume. Maybe let's tighten up our spacing, you know, our, our, our staging, our stages a little bit, squeeze a few more shots in per foot, but really just apply more water and apply more sand. So as the theory goes, you might be able to see an increase. The problem is not a lot of that data is public. It's really hard to go into to determine whether or not from a from kind of an analyst standpoint, if you were to ask me, Michael, not having access to Exxon's proprietary data, what's their success on refracturing? I don't know, because I can't tell you which wells they've refracted or not. I could go maybe pour over all of their wells and say, was there a well that was on a normal decline? And then one month was shut in or one month had zero production or at some point deviated drastically to the upside from its new production. Flag wow. that as a rework. And we could do that. The problem is the data is not public. So, of course, Exxon's going to tell their investors, oh, yeah, we're going to rework all these wells. Stu, we've got a huge inventory of, of reworks we're going to go through. Give us all the money you can get. Wow. From a practical standpoint, yeah, there, there's something to that. But it's almost like basically going in and trying to re-squeeze a lemon. You've already squeezed out a lot of it. The question is how much there is left that was left over from the original frack job, especially in the Permian where you have really high permeabilities and really, really high porosities. Yes, the frack job wasn't as good, but you've still allowed in for 10 years, sucked all the oil out of there. It's not regenerating. You haven't seen that much oil migration. So yes, that is something that people are talking about. Personally, I'm skeptical of that and think it's a wink, wink. Oh, yeah, we got a lot of different locations we can Uh, rework, Stu. Let me me ask this also, because in your oil field service companies like Liberty Frack and a couple of the other frack folks, if there is the reworking on those and you're still going to get deals from Exxon, you're going to get all these others. Liberty Frack might be a good investment as well. If you're in there saying, hey, oil field service fracking companies will still have volume even with a reduced rig count. Is that a fair statement? Well, yes, because I think what you're seeing is the duck number come down. Companies are taking their ducks and turning them offline. I'm not somebody that likes to invest in oil field service because I think it's too volatile. And it's too hard to classify, you know, there's a lot of other things other than the price of oil that is going to affect an oil field service company that you don't really know about till after the fact. 
you know, right. you, you know, a lot of stuff. I think if I was going to invest in an oil field services company, I do like Liberty a lot. I tend to probably lean more Halliburton Slumberjay because I think they have a, a more diverse product set, from example. Right. But I think this rework stew is a Fugazi. I've never met a comp a guy that works at a service company who doesn't think you should frack with more water and more sand. Stu, it's like asking me, it's like asking you. Hey, what should I do to increase my thought leadership? And you're just going to pound into their head. More podcasts, more podcasts, more podcasts. Someone who has a podcast, they come to you for advice. You're just going to say, do more episodes. Not that that that's a bad thing, but, you know, guys know one thing. You know, when you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if you're sitting, if you're getting convinced by a service company to do a refract, well, of course they want you to refracture them. Oh, I loved your analogies there, Michael. That was way cool. Everything with, if you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I'm going to no, quote I, you on that. I, That's I struggle with this on a daily basis. So I, you know, let, let, you know, I, I'll give you one example real quick before just to hammer this home. I struggle with this all the time. I have yeah. over the past two years become fairly fluent with Python. And once you do that, it's a very valuable tool to have in your skill set. A lot right. of different things open up from an efficiency standpoint, from how it integrates actually with, you know, being in finance, how you could, how knowing a little bit of scripting coding can actually really increase your financial capabilities and, and, and your, you know, your analysts, what you're able to analyze, the frequency, the amount of data data sets, what you're able to do, how you're able to set things up. But what I've noticed is I found myself using Python to accomplish tasks that take me longer in Python. And I otherwise should have just used Excel because I can just do it in a pivot table. And the problem is when you get good at something, you think it's the only way to solve every problem. Always have to take a step back and say, what's just the quickest and simplest way to achieve the best outcome? Maybe it's reworking a few wells, but I guarantee it's not reworking every single well, Stu, because not every single well is going to call for that. But if that's your plan to increase production, sure, you're going to run through a lot of different wells, may or may not work. So trust me, it's a, something that I struggle with personally every day and have to fight. I fight the daily struggle of hitting everything with, quote unquote, the hammer that I've got. Uh, this is going to open up about four or five other discussions we'll talk about on a later show on how you evaluate wells for rework or that, because that's some pretty cool stuff. The answers don't just go drill a new well, but we can, uh, <laughs> you know, if we, if we sell a course on it, I gave you the answer to the course right here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not an expert in that. I'm just much like I'm a skeptic about 1000, you know, all these M&A deals. We joke about the number of premium locations or high quality locations. I take the same mindset to these rework. Exxon's tell me they've got 10,000 rework candidates. Ch divide that number by a thousand. Maybe there's a hundred rework candidate. So I'm on one today, Stu. I'm you on are. one today. All I had to do is poke the bear every once in a while. And I, I this was great fun, Michael. <laughs> so, all right. Well, what should people be scared about next week, Stu? Oh, the government. But hey, we're going to have a great week next week. Got lots of good stories coming around the corner. There's some more international news coming around the corner from Saudi. You got to love them. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be anxiously awaiting our uh, BRICS membership. Um, we've officially applied. They've got our application. Um, we're trying to throw in a sponsorship, so we'll see if they go for that. We're trying to get a little money out of them, but we'll see. Oh, I, I think once they hear my Putin imitation, they will. Hey! hey. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, with that, I hope you have a great week. It's Monday. Hopefully, there's not that many meetings. We will keep you on out of here, guys. For Stuart Charlie, I'm Michael Tanner. Thanks for checking us, the Energy News Beat podcast. We'll see you tomorrow, guys.